0: Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. I'm going to be starting a sermon series and closing a sermon series this morning. And uh, we'll be looking at Deuteronomy 6, 1 to 15. If you have your Bibles, you can start to go there. Uh, when uh, Pastor Bob let me know I could choose any text. Uh, I tried to consider what the Lord had been laying on my heart and what he had been doing in my life uh, lately. And uh, one of those things uh, is uh, the idea of uh, the law and uh, living uh, the law of love. And so um, as we kick off uh, 2015 together, I can't think of a better way uh, to start the year than to consider how we can delight uh, in the law of the Lord. And so uh, before we dive in, uh, I just want to point us Uh, to a couple resources that have been particularly helpful for me uh, and influential as I've thought about this more and more. Uh, So this one is Kevin DeYoung's uh, Taking God at His Word. And this one uh, is Jerem Bars, one of my professors of apologetics uh, and outreach, uh, delighting in the law of the Lord. And so hopefully we can get those on the bookshelf sometime. Uh, They're wonderful books. Uh, So uh, before we uh, dive in, let's ask the Lord uh, to be with us now. Father, uh, open up our eyes uh, that we might behold wondrous things out of your law. Jesus, uh, yeah, we we pray uh, for your spirit to be with us uh, for, uh, again, uh, if your spirit is not here and is not working, uh, then we we labor in vain. Uh, So spirit, uh, be present, uh, speak through me, uh, and Lord, I thank you for these wonderful people and and, and pray that uh, this time in your word would be an encouragement uh, to all of us as we consider what you have to say to us today we pray these things in Christ's name, amen. So uh, you may have saw uh, NPR uh, released a interview this week uh, about Seventh-day Adventist pastor uh, Ryan Bell. And so uh, he's no longer a pastor, uh, but about a year ago, uh, he was pastoring a church in California, and he's also a professor at Fuller Seminary. And uh, he decided uh, to uh, make an odd decision to live a year without God. Uh, That was his 2014 New Year's resolution, uh, to have a year without God. And so uh, without any surprise, uh, both the seminary and the church released him uh, from his roles uh, shortly after um, because of this decision. And so uh, Ryan Bell, not to be confused with Rob Bell, uh, was in this interview with NPR just this week, a couple days ago, and confirmed, in fact, after a year without God, he has decided to continue Uh, living without God. And so uh, part of this was uh, he wanted to see if it would make any difference. Uh, Does it make any difference uh, if I were to go an entire year and God not be a part of it? Uh, And so of course uh, Bell's issue here was his view of God and his view of God's word. Uh, But of course this brought about a variety of responses and critiques uh, from both the Christian and the atheist communities. And so uh, Bell responded uh, to NPR with these words. I'm not used to fitting in places, so I guess that's fine with me. When things start to come unwound sometimes, I guess they unwind all the way. Well, Bell is sadly on to something here, and I think uh, what he's onto to is this. Uh, as soon as we begin to loosen our commitments, uh, as soon as we begin to uh, forget uh, the dear truths uh, that we've held uh, for so long, uh, it's... Uh, not a far cry from us beginning to try other things, uh, beginning to completely turn our backs on God. And so uh, his decision uh, to make this New Year's resolution started him on uh, a very harmful trajectory. And so my question for us this morning uh, is, do you view God's law as an obligation or a burden or something that's ugly and just kind of required? Because I believe Uh, That this is something that practically we can't live without. And so, uh, when we consider ancient Israel, uh, you might know from reading the Old Testament that they loved God's law. And so, uh, I want to talk about uh, three things that I mean uh, when I uh, talk about this idea of living the law of love, which is going to be the name of the sermon this morning. And so, uh, by living the law of love, I mean a few things. Uh, First, I mean that to obey the law rightly, we must actually love God. Second, to understand the law rightly, we must know this idea of love that overshadows and, and in, serves as an umbrella to everything that God commands us to do. And finally, that for us to actually be affected by the law We have to believe that it's given to us in the context of love. And so, in the Old Testament, that's the exodus, uh, this idea of God saving his people uh, from slavery out of Egypt. And so, uh, Christopher Wright reminds us that the law was a unique privilege uh, that was granted to no other nation. Uh, Only God's people uh, received this law. And so, in order for us to do the law rightly, then, we have to engage our affections. We have to love it. And so... Uh, If you're an athlete, uh, you may know uh, that uh, each sport uh, requires uh, different aspects of proper technique, and uh, if you don't actually enjoy the sport that you're playing, then I highly doubt that you're going to care a whole lot uh, about the proper technique uh, that's being asked of you. And so, uh, as we come to our text this morning, uh, let us enjoy God together, uh, that we might understand uh, his law rightly. If you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and uh, turn to Deuteronomy 6 if you haven't already. Uh, The words will be on the screen here in the ESV. Uh, Go ahead and join me uh, in standing for the reading of God's word if you're able. And starting with chapter 6, uh, verse 1, hear now the words of Moses. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And the Lord, uh, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. This is God's holy word. You may be seated. Alright, so uh, let me give us a quick lay of the land uh, before we uh, return to our text. Moses wrote the book of Deuteronomy about 40 years after the Exodus uh, when Israel was rescued from the hand of Pharaoh uh, in Egypt and uh, they began to learn about their God personally at Mount Sinai uh, where the Ten Commandments were delivered and God, through Moses, uh, gave them instructions for building a sanctuary and soon after, Uh, Israel uh, had already fallen into disobedience uh, by fashioning a golden calf and worshiping it. And uh, so uh, Israel continually again and again uh, was caught in disobedience, uh, breaching uh, the covenant, the relationship, the bond, uh, the the pact that they made with God. Uh, And so because of that, um, God sent them into the wilderness uh, for 40 years uh, before um, allowing them to enter the promised land. And so um, the Lord had just said uh, a couple chapters previously, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Uh, and it's referring to uh, Mount Seir, uh, which, uh, I have my uh, little laser thing here. Okay, so the mount is right, uh, right down there on the bottom. Uh, you can kind of see the trail Uh, and starting to head back up uh, towards the northeast there. And so the mountain is there, and the Lord said, you have stayed here long enough. Uh, Go north and take possession of the land uh, that the Lord swore to your fathers. Uh, So when we arrive at our text, uh, you can see on the map uh, that uh, the Lord had brought them uh, to the east side of the Jordan River, uh, up there in the top right corner, um, across from the city of Jericho and the plains of Moab. Uh, And so uh, this is right before they're about to enter into the promised land. And so uh, basically, God, through Moses, uh, is uh, speaking to them to prepare them for two realities. One, Moses is leaving them. Uh, Moses is uh, going to die, and God's going to bring in new leadership. Uh, Joshua uh, is going to lead them into the promised land. And two, uh, that they're going to embark on an international war. And so uh, it's interesting to me, in a book where Uh, God is um, calling them to prepare for life without a leader and uh, to uh, face their enemies uh, in an effort uh, to reclaim uh, the land that God uh, had promised to them uh, that uh, we deliver here uh, in in Deuteronomy 20 out of 34 chapters of straight law. Uh, So there's something to be said for uh, the idea that when God calls us to important things, uh, he wants us to remember his law. Uh, it has significance. And so for Israel, as well as you and I, uh, we know that observing the law is the proper response uh, to a God who lavishes us with his love and, and his loving kindness and uh, his grace. Uh, and so uh, we hear uh, lots of reminders and, and lots of teachings that will say something like this. Uh, God requires uh, that we obey his law, but if we're honest, uh, we don't obey his law. And so uh, that seems to be a lot of how uh, the law is talked about, uh, but what uh, we don't hear as much uh, is the idea that the law is beautiful, uh, that it's, it's a good gift uh, that God has provided his people uh, in his kindness, and so uh, this law of love is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Uh, Matthew 5.17 says uh, that he has fulfilled the law and the prophets, uh, that uh, they are all pointing to him. And so, because Jesus has loved us to the degree which he has, our passage tells us here in Deuteronomy that we must live out the law ourselves. But the question is how do we do that in a way that views the law positively? Well, Moses teaches us how we do that by, you guessed it, three things by celebrating his covenant promises, by clinging to him with our whole person, and by captivating the world with his plan. So, first, We live out the law of love by celebrating his covenant promises. And I want to give a couple reasons uh, for each of these main points today. And so um, in this case, we celebrate the law first, uh, celebrate his covenant promises uh, in the law, because all good things come from God. Uh, So if you'll look with me at verse 10, uh, it says, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, uh, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you, Uh, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things you did not fill. And Moses goes on and on here talking about God gave you all these things. And so basically, uh, the way to understand this is all that God gives us are his gifts. Uh, God gives us things, and we are recipients. Uh, We didn't provide these things for ourselves. Uh, God himself is the source. And so uh, we are called uh, to recognize that God is the giver of all good things. And a way to think about this would be to think about a Christmas gift you received this year that you really enjoyed. And then to, to think about how silly it would be if you gave yourself credit for how much you enjoyed uh, that gift uh, in, in the holiday season. And so the reality is, is Yahweh, the, the personal loving God, is the ultimate giver of all good things. And so... Um, this is why James can say in chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift comes from above. God himself always delivers what he promises. We also see here uh, that uh, we're called to celebrate his covenant promises because all important events are worth remembering. If you'll look with me again uh, here at verse 12, uh, we had just talked about God gave you this, and he gave you this, and he gave you this. And now at verse 12, Uh, We see, then take care lest you forget the Lord your God. See, God knew that giving the Israelites the promised land risked the possibility that they would actually go on forgetting about God, the giver of the promised land in the first place. And so, most of the time, when we forget things, I think we uh, reduce it uh, to uh, something that uh, is like a bad memory, uh, such as, uh, I forgot to do the dishes. Uh, Or uh, I forgot to put my seatbelt on in the car. My wife gets on me all the time about that. I I don't know why. I I always forget my seatbelt. But I'm glad I have her. I think, though, what's happening in this passage is we're seeing when we forget the most important things, we're starting to move in the direction of disobedience. And I know that the Lord has gifted each of us with different brain capacities, and and, uh, some of us are better at remembering things than others, but that's not what I think is going on here with this idea of forgetting. I think forgetting is simply the fruit of disobedience. Uh, Israel has already begun in different ways to move towards other gods, to uh, abandon the God that loves them and and has called them to himself. And so uh, this is uh, the result, not of a bad memory. Um, but this is the result of disobedience. And God is imploring them here not to forget because he knows how easy it is for us to follow other gods. So this passage here uh, in the end, verses 14 and 15, when it's talking about the Lord being a jealous God and, and uh, beware lest the anger of the Lord be kindled against you. Uh, this is not uh, an effort uh, for God to uh, try to be a villain or or uh, an evil attacker of any kind. This is uh, God giving us a caring statement of protection from harm. Let me give you an example. Uh, About uh, 15 years ago, uh, in middle school, uh, I uh, was hanging out with some friends. We were outside, and uh, I I had a friend who was riding a brand-new bicycle that his parents got him, and I was super jealous. It was the coolest bicycle ever, and so I came home, and I got on my computer, and I, I started looking up, bikes and i came across this one uh, this is a haro ryan nyquist back trail times three uh, bmx bike and navy blue it's, it, it's the most beautiful thing ever uh, looking at this online and as i was looking my dad came up to me and he looked over my shoulder and i said that's pretty cool looking isn't it and i go yeah it is it's about 400 dollars. you want to buy it for me and he goes well uh, you wish We'll we'll think about it perhaps sometime for Christmas or something. Uh, we, can, we can talk about it, but it's a pretty expensive bike, and so I had kind of forgotten about it and moved on, and six months later, I walk inside, uh, <laughs> and in my living room, in front of our Christmas tree is that bike, and it had a big bow on it, and it, it said, Merry Christmas, love mom and dad, and it was the best Christmas gift I ever received because my dad remembered and I had, I had totally forgotten about it, but my dad remembered. And so it, it's, it's a good gift, uh, not because uh, of, of the fact that it was a bike. Uh, as a matter of fact, I actually have stopped riding bikes, uh, and I'd, I'd like to get back into that. But uh, I, don't, I don't even ride a bike, but we keep it at our house in St. Louis. So when I go down to my basement and I see that bike sitting there, I remember <laughs> how I felt that day and, and seeing that gift. And so you you might ask, well, what does this have to do with God's law? Well, the first thing my dad told me when I received that bike was this. Put on your helmet, go outside, and don't ride in the street. Don't be dumb, or you're going to get yourself killed. (laughs) And so uh, it it might have been natural for me to be angry or annoyed uh, by my dad's request, but actually, uh, I rode off very joyfully, Uh, as a a matter of fact, the the thought of of my dad looking out for my well-being was actually uh, the greatest gift that I could have. And so uh, my dad was protecting me, and so is God. And so when we think about Israel, uh, Israel was enslaved to their sins. They were enslaved uh, to the sins of Pharaoh, and, and God gave them the gift of freedom. And so the very first thing God did was form a covenant, a pact, a bond, that he would be their God, they would be his people, And one way that he would be faithful to fulfill his promises was to give the law to them. And so uh, there was no way for me to know necessarily that my dad would ever get me that bike. But here's what God is saying. I am a promise keeper. And what I say and what I purpose, I will do it. You can count on that and don't forget it. So Israel responded by celebrating. And this is why in verse 20, if you look a little further along in our passage, it says... When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. The whole law, then, serves as a reminder. They had ceremonies and feasts, kind of like we have the Lord's Supper, communion, uh, together. Some people will helpfully classify the law and break it down into three parts. Uh, They'll talk about moral laws, uh, basically ideas of right and wrong, uh, civil laws, which relate to Israel as a nation, uh, and ceremonial laws, which relate to Jewish customs and traditions. Uh, and, And so I think these categories are helpful but I would say the, the key here is not that we treat the law like some buffet where we can just pick and choose, uh, but rather that we see uh, all 613 Old Testament laws, all of them have redemptive principles behind them, and we're called to value what God values, and that's what those laws are saying to us. So, uh, we happily live out the law of love by celebrating God's promises, uh, but we also do that by clinging to him as whole people. So we're going to bounce back to the middle part of our passage, uh, verses 4 through 9. So we cling to God because our entire personhood is under his reign. And we're also going to talk about the idea that our entire livelihood is under the, God, uh, under the reign of God. Uh, but let's start with personhood. Israel is called here to listen up. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One commentator points out, that this is not mainly a statement about the internal unity of God as much as it is a statement about exclusivity. There is only one God, and his name is Yahweh, and it's he that we serve, it's he that we worship. Therefore, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, and teach these diligently to your children. See, uh, this means we love God with our physical bodies. We love God with our thoughts. We love him with our affections. This doesn't uh, mean necessarily that uh, we um, cast aside feelings, um, but uh, it is important to say that we are not ultimately guided by our feelings. Uh, Living by faith in God's word is what we're called to do. Uh, That's part of the point of this passage. Uh, But it doesn't mean that our affections are not important. See, I think uh, we Presbyterians a lot of times uh, need to learn to kindle our affections, uh, to get passionate about the things that God is passionate about because we're whole people. Uh, We're not brains on a stick. Uh, God has called us to engage the heart, uh, to uh, be captivated by the things that God is captivated by. And uh, if it's true uh, that somehow having affections means that you're naive or dumb or wimpy, uh, then I think we should all turn to Psalm 119 in our Bibles and just rip it out because the psalmist in Psalm 119 goes on and on and on for 176 verses, just obsessing over God's commands and talking about how much he can't help but worship and delight and love uh, the the ideas of God's law and his commandments on the things that he's provided. And so if the psalmist thinks it's okay for us to get excited about God and his law, then we should too. So Deuteronomy 6 is saying we need to love God with everything we are. Get excited. Get passionate. Cry a little bit. God's law is beautiful. And that doesn't mean don't think. Uh, As Pastor Bob uh, just quoted uh, Jonathan Edwards uh, earlier, uh, Jonathan Edwards was an extremely serious, mature, and deep-thinking pastor, and he built his entire ministry around having affections for God. So don't be afraid of it. God gives us affections, and so use them. But be careful not to let them ultimately guide you in the place of faith. So we cling, we hold on to God tightly because our whole life is under his reign and his dominion. But it's not just that we worship him with our thoughts and our affections. Uh, Verse seven here says, teach these things to your children when you sit down and when you walk and when you talk of them, when you rise and when you lie down. Basically this idea of Our entire livelihood, being under the reign of God, means this, all of it is under God's reign. Every single thing that you could think or do or respond to uh, is all under God's reign. And so submit to him in that and uh, allow uh, your life to have no nooks or crannies uh, where God cannot speak. Uh, We see here uh, a quote uh, that's uh, very well known, uh, but I'll put it here on the screen. Uh, This is by Abraham Kuyper. He says, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. This means we can love God at work. We can love God at home. We can love him in our hardships, in our joyful times, uh, in our uh, excitable memories, and in our most painful uh, situations. Uh, in our um, homes, uh, and in our workplaces. Israel is told in verse 8 to bind the command to love God on their hands and to write it on their doorposts. And many Jews actually take this literally in fulfilling these commands. As a matter of fact, uh, this section here in Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9 uh, is known as the most important Jewish prayer. And it's one of the most memorized passages in the Old Testament. Rabbi Dr. Jonathan Romain is helpful here. Uh, to let us know uh, just how important this text really is. He says this, Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9 is quoted in every Jewish synagogue worship service. Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9 for Jews is our main declaration of faith and an assertion that God is one. See, so much of Judaism is concerned with observing practical laws, both positive and negative, both ethical and ritual, that this passage stands out as a cry of belief something we can't simply carry out or avoid, but we have to personally take it to heart. We love this passage so much that we make our children recite it every single night before they go to bed. And he says, uh, the passage also has acquired some special symbolism because of historical circumstances. Uh, So as a little uh, picture here of of a attack uh, where the Romans came in and Um, basically destroyed the temple, uh, exiling thousands of Jews. And there was one last attempt at Jewish freedom uh, in 135, a revolt led by Shimon Bar Kokhba with the support of one of his leading rabbis, Akaba. The revolt failed. Bar Kokhba was killed in the battle, and Akaba arrested and tortured to death in an arena. He died, saying the first line of verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, as a final act of spiritual defiance against the Romans. And so ever since then, it's traditional that a Jew who is about to pass away actually recites this passage as his or her final words. We're not called to go look for martyrdom, but what would it look like if we were to cling to Yahweh in the way that these Jews do? See, when sin is in the picture, And it's in the picture for all of us in this room. As rebels, we need God all the time. I think of uh, this Matt Mayer song where he says this. Where sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found is where you are. And where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ in me. Lord, I need you. Oh, how I need you. Every hour I need you my one defense, my righteousness, God, how I need you. And it's not just us as individuals that need God, but us as a community. And so God's blessings to Israel came (laughs) through a family, and from a family through a nation, and through a nation to the world. So this leads us to our final point. We live the law of love by celebrating God's promises by clinging to him as whole people, and finally, <clears throat> by captivating the world with his plan. So look with me at verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules, and this here is just different ways of saying that which God decrees, that which God commands, that which God loves, um, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you were going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your sons' sons, by keeping all his statutes and commandments, which I command you. <clears throat> so we've just come off the re-giving of the Ten Commandments. Uh, just a couple chapters previous, uh, Moses gave the Ten Commandments again. And uh, these are the, the key laws that we rightfully quote uh, to, to talk about what it means to live life well. Uh, we put the Ten Commandments up on our walls and our homes. And so God is giving them again through Moses, the Ten Commandments. And this is, is the, the summary uh, of, of what it is specifically that God is wanting us to keep in mind. And he does so uh, seemingly in this passage for two reasons. First, that we would fear God. This doesn't mean that we cower away from God, uh, or again, uh, that God would be some sort of villain that we're being attacked by. But this kind of fear is a deep awe. Uh, one might say, the affections that lead one to worship. And so uh, these laws were given not before, but after God had saved them out of Egypt. And so the law is always given in the context of God's grace uh, and his kind saving acts. Uh, It's never done uh, just for the sake of itself. This kind of fear is a deep awe uh, that uh, would cause the second goal, which is that our sons and our sons' sons will fear him too. And in doing so, the text says here uh, that your days might be long. And so living out the law is both something that we are, and it's something that we teach. Fearing God, then, is at the center of all wise living. It's what it means uh, when Jesus is talking about living life to the full. Life is found with Jesus and the law that God gives us. And as we do that, the text seems to indicate that God will typically use that to draw in future generations to himself. Now, This obviously brings up a touchy issue, and so uh, we can't help uh, but address this idea of uh, the sons and the sons' sons um, walking in the ways of the Lord. And so uh, we know, uh, both in the Bible and in our own experience, uh, that not all of us have Christian parents. And for those of you who are Christian parents, we know that not all of you have Christian children. And so I think what we want to see in this passage is that God is faithful to bless family lines, as he did with Abraham, and that's a a different stage in redemptive history, but God still works through families, and surely if we obey God's law with fervor, with zeal, with passion, then it's going to have ripple effects. This means if you're a Christian parent, you don't have to be anxious about whether or not your kids will come to know the Lord. My encouragement is no matter how old or how young you might be, Fall in love with God and the law that he gives, and I believe that God is faithful and will use it greatly somehow in the lives of your children. Courtney and I pray for future kids, and and we know that because of our sin, uh, as future parents, they would have every reason to turn from God. But God is far more able to work miraculously in their hearts than we could try to manipulate in them ourselves. And so we're going to trust God, and we're going to obey him, we're going to love him, and, and we're going to obey his law as best as we can. And so let's take a look uh, here uh, at verse 3. Uh, and so we talked about uh, captivating the world with his plan because fearing God encourages wise living, uh, but we captivate the world with his plan also because listening to God encourages human flourishing. And so here at verse 3, hear therefore, O Israel... And be careful to do them that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. And so we see both verses 3 and 4 say, hear, O Israel. And so anytime you're reading in the Bible and very closely to one another, you see the same thing twice, hear, O Israel, assume that the emphasis is off the charts. Uh, It's important. God wants us to listen up. So we're not called just to receive a message in one ear and out the other, uh, but we're called to take this to heart. And actually, here in verse 6, it says, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So we hear God's commands in a way that if we responded to them, would result in the multiplication of God's people as he has promised. And so this means uh, that God's law, as it's given to families, uh, flows out into the wider community, that God's law is contagious that you can't come into contact with God's law and positive ripple effects not take place. So the implications of obedience then move away from just us as individuals uh, and even us as families uh, into the wider community that we're a part of. And the promise here is for flourishing. It says, uh, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so this phrase is used consistently to describe the land of Canaan, a place of uh, great sweetness uh, great fertility. And uh, these, are, these are traits that certainly we couldn't say of the wilderness uh, where the Israelites were dwelling. And so uh, this would have been a huge answer to prayer uh, for them uh, to be able to even see Canaan, let alone actually live there. And so Moses is letting us know that God has a plan to bring about his blessing and his offspring and his land, uh, things that were promised to Abraham, things that we lost at the Garden of Eden uh, when our first fathers sinned Uh, and turned from the Lord, and so Moses is letting them know God has a plan, and all that was lost at the Garden of Eden is being recovered, that uh, as we live the law of love, God is going to use this to bring his kingdom to earth. He's going to save and captivate people um, with his law. Uh, His law is going to be on their hearts, Uh, not just in some future day uh, when Jesus finally returns, but he's already doing that right here, right now. And so, uh, let us love God's law and walk by faith. But there's one more thing we have to consider. In Matthew 22, uh, a lawyer tests Jesus, and he says, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so, this is why the common phrase you may have heard, love God, love people. That's why this mantra is not too far from the truth, but I would say it's missing something. It assumes that we actually have it in us to love God and love people, but we don't. We're sinners. And so, you might be thinking, <laughs> as I've been saying these things, Cody, you're calling us to constantly <laughs> love God, constantly celebrate his promises, constantly cling to him, constantly captivate the world with these things, and it's simply too much. It's, it's like an unrealistic New Year's resolution, and I'm, I'm not even going to fulfill these things by the end of January. Uh, maybe I started a Bible reading plan in Genesis 1, and I'm not even going to make it to the end of Leviticus. Well, I would say you're right. If we were left with love God and love people, we would have no hope. But we see earlier in Matthew that Jesus spent 40 days fasting and in the wilderness was directly tempted by Satan himself, quoting Deuteronomy 6 twice and saying, no, the Lord my God is the one I will serve. Yahweh is it. I will not bow to you, Satan. And so as Israel spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness for disobedience, Jesus himself was completely obedient, constantly, never sinned once. And his faithfulness is ultimately seen at the cross, where the law of love itself came to fruition. As Romans 5 says, and was quoted earlier, God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so, Jesus celebrates God's promises and fulfills them. Jesus clung to God with his whole being, even to the point of death. And Jesus captivated the world with God's rescue plan. And he did all of this on our behalf. And so if you've never made the decision to trust in Jesus for life and salvation, or you're visiting today and and these are are new things uh, and you need to think more about them and talk to someone, uh, I I encourage you, please talk to an elder. Uh, You can talk to me. Uh, We would love to to interact with you and and to to help answer some questions and and just to hear uh, where you're coming from. Um, But I encourage you and implore you, uh, trust in Jesus. Uh, Give your heart to him. uh, Receive salvation. Jesus loves you. Now walk by faith by loving him. You might be asking, uh, well, how do I do that? And so uh, I want to leave us today with three practical things, uh, three practical ways that we can live the law of love uh, in 2015 and beyond. And so... Um, okay, Uh, we live the law of love first uh, by incorporating the psalms and or musical worship uh, into your daily routine uh, to engage your affections. Uh, The psalms uh, are uh, extremely powerful and historically uh, have been used uh, as worship, and so uh, we... I would encourage you, uh, make the Psalms a regular part of your life. As you read the Psalms over and over and over again and, and sing them even out loud, I believe the Lord will begin to grab your heart and engage your affections for him. Uh, but second, uh, I would encourage you to invite a friend or a close family member to uh, enter into your life uh, by asking this, uh, how much joy do you see in my life, honestly? And so, Uh, you may ask your friend or your family member, uh, do I seem more like a cynical critic uh, or do I seem like a joyful servant? But third, uh, we would also uh, see our main work as a way to celebrate, cling, and captivate. And so, uh, in other words, when you go into work or when you uh, change the baby's diapers or when you have a conversation uh, with a friend, Uh, always enter in by seeing these things as a bridge to God rather than a hindrance from God. And so uh, I'm a technician at Apple. Uh, I fix iPhones, and it's a very fun job, but also a very frustrating job. Uh, And so uh, a lot of times when I walk into the mall, uh, I just pray to myself, and uh, I I say, Lord, I'm about to be in a bad mood in about five minutes. So I need you uh, to give me endurance, and I need you to change my heart so that I can love these people well. And so uh, I'd encourage you uh, to think about yourself as a loved ambassador uh, who is on a loving mission. And so, again, the unchanging promises of God's word, not our affections, uh, are our authority. The Christian is called to live by faith, trusting in God and his word. But here's the important thing. It is impossible for us to live by faith while remaining apathetic in our affections towards God. We've been given a great gift in Jesus. And so, friends, let us not embrace uh, this uh, Pastor Ryan Bell's nonsense of uh, a year without God. Uh, We can't afford a year without God. We can't afford an hour without God. And so, as Kevin DeYoung says, I'll put this quote up uh, to finish, Obedience to the law from a willing spirit as made possible by the Holy Spirit is the proper response to free grace. And so would it be, friends, that we would walk by faith and stand joyfully as children of the promise? And we're actually going to sing that right now to kindle our affections.